Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night Wednesday night show. We mean weekly and good yomtiv. Of course, the show is the Nishmas Nachmiyakim Ben Sihish. I guess we could add Batsheva Vasavram if you want. Batsheva Chama. Batsheva Chama Vasavram. Pashas told us. Pashas told us. Pashas told us. And I shake this kiss leave. Tonight, Rabbi Say is a Shredish Kislev. A true, true Yomtiv. Because the guy's English doesn't mean you have to give me an English message. Okay. A Shredish Kislev. This week we brought Shemuzeicha this past Shabbos on Shabbos Avarchin to have to hosted Shluchim from all around the world, the world's largest picture of rabbis together in one picture, and all the other cliches that come with it. Very inspiring Shabbos for many. We got to sit and fabring and to hear stories from Shluchim worldwide. What people are doing, how people are seeing Yashkacha Pratis on a daily basis, but more importantly, how people are living in the ways of the Kayach HaMishaleach, in the ways of the person that has sent them, and bringing the message from the Mishaleach to all those around. Obviously a very, very, very powerful moment. Thousands and thousands of people come in from one from all parts of the world, literally. I believe they announced by the banquet that South Dakota, the only state in the United States that did not yet have a Shliach Chabad, now has an official Shliach Chabad. Since we're talking about Shlichus, we have to see where it comes into this week's Pasha. And of course, Blinada, to talk about Rishchidish Kislev. Or maybe reverse. We need to prioritize. Everything in our lives we need to prioritize. And we need to see what goes first, what goes second. But we need to be consistent when we prioritize. And Tara tells us this is the way of Tara and the opinion of Tara. And this is the way people need to live and exist and coexist with their fellow man is according to Das Tara. And we'll hear Mietzah Hashem about different parts of our Pasha. Hopefully we'll be able to squeeze in 
as much as we can in as little time as we have. Shchedesh Kislev. What does that mean to you? What should it mean to you? What could it mean to you? What would it mean to you? Why would it mean anything to you? Now, as we say in Lashon Gemara, my own personal experience in my own personal life, I was not here that year. I was not here in America when that happened. I was very far away, and I've uh, spoken about this before, with communications very, very, very poor. And therefore, we were not privy to the severity of the issue. More so, when we left in Elul, this year Elul will be 40 years, when we left in Elul, the Rebbe spoke to us, gave us a bracha, told us to stand by Kiddush Lavana, and benched us prior to leaving, gave us a blessing on our journey, a blessing on our shlichus, a blessing for success for the upcoming years that we were about to, life-changing years that we were about to embark upon in Caracas, Venezuela. The next time we saw the Rebbe was Pesach time. And again, the Rebbe Baruch Hashem was vibrant, was betekif, was just as we left him. So we were never impacted by the events, by the happening of which we celebrate Rishchidosh Kislev. Ironically, that's the case. And therefore, I can almost tell you those listening to me, those listening now, those who will listen later, or anyone that will hear this year down the line, who never met the Rebbe at all, cannot imagine what the actual celebration is all about. In tradition, As you see on Passover, Hanukkah, etc. We tend to repeat the miracle that we experienced 
and to practically speaking relive it so that we appreciate the miracle which was bestowed upon us. The mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Telling of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Talking about when the Jews left Egypt. Seder night is the mitzvah to talk about leaving of Egypt. There are also other mitzvahs of the Seder that need to be done. And some that need to take place before midnight. But the mitzvah of talking about remembering, commemorating the actual leaving of the exile of Mitzrayim, of Egypt, the mitzvah is all night. And the Baal himself cites just such a story of sages that sat through the night and they were sitting obviously in a cave apparently or there were no windows in B'nai Brak and their students needed to come tell them the time to recite Kriya Shema of the morning prayer was upon us They were oblivious to it. Or were they? Because fact is, people as righteous as these know exactly where every second of their day goes. So that for them to say that they were oblivious of what time it was really needs to take a different dimension, needs to take a different tract. And namely, of course, that they were so involved, they were so enraptured with talking about the leaving of Exodus of Egypt, they were so filled, brimming with mitzvahs, brimming with the completion of doing a mitzvah so full-heartedly, there was no place for other mitzvahs. They needed to physically be brought back down to the world to remind them, to tell them that it was time for Kriyash Mashashachas. The story of Rashkedish Kislev is also not necessarily a story. It's told and retold and hashed and rehashed. And obviously, there is a happening that transpires throughout this episode. But there is so much more to it. And because there is so much more to it, 
it is befitting to tell and to repeat the story even to those that are oblivious and do not understand what it, how it fits into our daily life today and even those that were not there even those that are not aware of what exactly happened on Simchas Teda day where we are happiest in the year during the Hakafas, which is the happiest moment of Simchas Teda it's actually Shminyat by night the night prior in the middle of the Hakafas, apparently it was, it was apparent that the Rebbe was not feeling well Apparently the Rebbe asked for his chair, which was a very rare thing, that the Rebbe should sit down by a covers. Mm-hmm. And the Rebbe sat, and everybody started to get very nervous. The Rebbe urged that a covers continue. When they saw, though, that the issue, the situation was not good, they immediately began breaking the windows taking everybody out of the shul. They vacated the shul, apart from a minion that remained downstairs, or a little more, people that felt that the shul could not run without them, that the Rebbe could not have a covers without them, I'm not sure who stayed downstairs. Nobody stayed downstairs? It had to be a minion. There was a minion. The Gaboyim and Rivers was a minion. And the Rebbe completed that office. The Rebbe insisted on going upstairs on his own strength. I'm not sure what was agreed and what was not agreed to. By the time the Rebbe went up to his room, it was very apparent that something very severe was going on. Doctors were called in. I will not be able to tell you who determined that the Rebbe had suffered a massive heart attack. There were doctors flown in. There were heart specialists from everywhere. But it was determined that the heart attack was quite severe. So much so that the doctors told the Gaboyim, judging by the connection of the Chassidim to the Rebbe, They advised, they recommended that the secretariat begin to prepare the chassidim for the worst. Because they honestly did not believe that the Rebbe would even make it through the night. For the Rebbe, Unlike the medical team, 
who insisted on silence, insisted on bed rest, insisted that ever go to the hospital. The Rebbe said, you'll have to make a hospital come here. You'll make this quarters a hospital, which is what they did. They turned the Rebbe's office into a hospital. They brought all the machinery, whatever they needed to make sure that everything was monitored properly. And from there, Anyone that is really truly privy to the stories don't really relate them. Ultimately, apparently, the Rebbe suffered another heart attack during the evening. And the doctors were getting less and less enthusiastic with the prognosis. When the Rebbe made it through the night, much to the surprise of the doctors, there were many things the Rebbe requested, which on the behest of the doctors, some were granted, some were refused. The Rebbe wanted to hear, though, the Simcha. He wanted to hear the joy of the Chassidim downstairs in Shul. Doctors wanted silence. They wanted quiet. They wanted a hospital. They wanted an ICU environment where the only thing the patient can hear is a nice, depressing EKG machine with the heart pumping and the deet, deet, deet. They figured that was healthier for the patient. Obviously, the Rebbe knew his custom, the Rebbe knew exactly what had to happen. On Matzah Shabbos Bereshis, Saturday night following, the Rebbe insisted he needs to speak. Speaking is the most strenuous for a patient, for a heart patient. Doctors were adamant. They said, no, it's not happening. The Rebbe promised them only a certain amount of minutes to be very short. They promised, I don't know if that's the right word to use. Excuse me, but ultimately, ultimately the the Maimah that the Rebbe spoke was a little longer than they expected and we've told the story over many times how the echocardiogram flatlined while the Rebbe was talking and obviously the doctors in medicine, the world of medicine will tell you that the machine went faulty Um, if that were the case, why did they not replace it? I don't know. 
But ironically, it unfolded after the Rebbe finished. The Rebbe spoke in that Maima, the famous Maima, of the father hiding for his children, causing his children to yearn and to look for him, to search. And so too the significant message which the Rebbe delivered. Ultimately, mixed reports went back and forth, day in, day out. Many doctors were brought in and visited, etc. The Rebbe didn't necessarily agree with all of them. The Rebbe, I believe Dr. Weiss once said, our specialist from Chicago, that the Rebbe taught him more in the time that he spent with the Rebbe and he had learned all his years in medical, in medical school. Again, the Rebbe giving Das Teda, teaching what the Teda tells us about the human body, what the Teda tells us about how a body has to function, and how the Rebbe's body was so totally, totally enveloped with Teda and the ways of Teda that nothing deterred, nothing, sorry, nothing wavered from the Rebbe's actions to the words of Teda. And therefore, the best medicine ultimately for the Rebbe was the Taylor opinion which the Rebbe had. Sorry, the Rebbe spent the entire time in his room, in his quote-unquote makeshift hospital. The Rebbe would deliver on Saturday nights, Matzah Shabbos, the Rebbe would deliver discourses which would be broadcast, and we merited to hear them via the telephone to Venezuela, as did people throughout the world, Chassidim throughout the world. And on a Shredish Kislev, the Rebbe was given clearance to return home. Doctors determined that the Rebbe was well enough to return home. And this, therefore, today is the celebration of Rashkhedish Kislev that the Rebbe was able to go back to his standard regular routine, although there was no lack, there was nothing missing, Chassashon, of the Rebbe's connection to us, of what the Rebbe gave us, what the Rebbe was teaching us, 
our connection remains status quo. But seeing the Rebbe once again in his full glory. Oh, but you lost the way. It rains. It rains, people forget how to drive. Was the schus that we merited on Yishchidish Kislev. And therefore we refer to Yishchidish Kislev as a yamtiv, and we say bit yamtiv. Let us now get back to the parasha, or start with the parasha. Before that, I told them a little story of a Rabbi Brennenbard. This Rabbi Brennenbard was a very nice fellow, wonderful fellow, but a very, very rigid litai snag snagged ironically the misnagdim whatever walk of of life they come from they're misnagged against quote unquote chassidim but when they pick and choose and the chassidim that ruffle their feathers the most are Chabad. <coughs> anyway, this fellow was a wonderful fellow, sat and learned Tera. In Efrat, when they opened Talmudic Center, sponsored by Rabbi of Gutnik from Australia, he was invited as a guest speaker. And the shocker was that he opened his speech saying he wanted to relate a personal encounter with the Rebbe. And he told the following when he was a young fellow His teachers, his mentors, all decided he's a true bentera, and although he needs to get married, he needs to lead the life of tera, to sit and study, and therefore the criteria of his wife to be she should be able to support him. Baruch Hashem, such a wife was found. The wife and the in-laws were ecstatic to support this true Torah scholar. He sat and learned Torah all day long. First few years, everything was wonderful. 
except for the black hole, the family that marred their family, that marred their house. The fact that unfortunately they were not blessed with children. They prayed, they gave tzedakah, they went to Gedolim for blessings, not the Rebbes, to the Gedolim of Gedolim Unfortunately, the, they did not bear the fruits of their labors. Another two years, someone mentioned to the wife, why don't you go see the Lubavitcher Rebbe? He's known to do great things. The wife, being of course that much more in pain over not holding a baby, a child in her her arms, approached her husband and mentioned this. Says, go to a Rebbe? No. The Labavitch Rebbe? Forget about it. Bye, eh? Two more years went by. And we say, Vayela de Neno. No child. His wife wouldn't give up, though. What do we have to lose? Right now, we're nowhere. And finally, he acquiesces. He agrees to travel to New York. No. They came to the Rebbe. They had an appointment. Chidus. They came into the Rebbe's room. And the woman just burst out crying. The Rebbe with his kind and beautiful eyes looked at her compassionately and said to her, Don't worry. You will be blessed with a child. They didn't even say why they were there. Then the Rebbe turned to the husband and asked the husband, what do you do? He said, I learn all day. I said, but what do you do? He understood that Rebbe meant, what Rebbe was referring to him. How do you change, how do you make change in the world? And he answered, and he was going to answer, going through his mind, the Rebbe thinks, for one moment, I'm going to spare this precious moment of my terror study to go do, to work with people, and nothing gets coming. The Rebbe looked at him. The Rebbe knew exactly what he was talking, what he was thinking. The Rebbe said to him, "Where do you live?" 
Now, what's greed? Now, so I've read about this very intellectual person. And he didn't imagine where the Rebbe was going with such a question. Especially since he happened to live on an obscure street in Yerushalayim. Where most moniot, most taxis have to call 15 times to find how to get to it. So he told the Rebbe his address. So the Rebbe said on that, build, on that block, that street, there are two apartment buildings. One has a supermarket underneath, a grocery store, one doesn't. Which one of the buildings do you live in? At this point, the guy was ready to faint. Not alone. Not enough. The Rebbe knew where the street was. The Rebbe, who was never physically in Edsel, knew that on their block there were two buildings. One had a grocery, one didn't. This was a little, a little much for him. And he told him which building he lived in, the building without the supermarket, and that was the end of the Echidus. He left, they, they left Echidus, they left the Rebbe's room, and Baruch Hashem, a year shortly after, she became pregnant, and they blessed the little boy. And then he finished saying, but I will tell you, that seeing how the Rebbe sees from one end of the world to the other, seeing what kind of person this is that gave me the bracha, upon return to Israel I opened the Kail and began teaching in the Kail. So now I do. I do things to make a change in the world. Is he a Lubavitcher Chassid? No. Does he tell the people in the Kail to be the Lubavitcher? Also not. But, yes, Navi Bishal, he knew and was now aware of what the true source of his blessing was. Let's return the focus to the Shlichas in this week's Pasha. We know the story. Yaakov and Esav are vying for the brachas from their father, vying for the blessings from Yitzchak, from Isaac, and how Rivka sides with her son Yaakov sides with her son Yaakov 
and Yaakov is quite scared because Esav obviously is not going to be happy when he finds out that Yaakov took the brachas from him. What happens? Vayishlach Yaakov Vayishlach Yitzchak is Yaakov Vayelach. Towards the end of the Pasha, Yitzchak realizes that Yaakov is in danger sticking around over here. So he tells him, Go on Shlichus. The next Pasha, those thoughts of Yaakov went out from Be'eshava and went to Chorona. Now we know he went already to Shlichus. We know already from the previous Pasha, his father sent him, Go, pack. Why all of a sudden? Does the Torah have to reiterate, have to repeat this this story? Torah is Lashon Hedor. There's always a living lesson, and Torah is Hedor Nitzchis. The lesson is perpetual. All places and all times of the Jewish life. Yaakov's journey, his shlichus, that was given to him from his father Yitzchak Avinu, what our forefathers did is a simon, a sign for us to do. And therefore, the Shlichus, mentioned in Tehillus and subsequently in Vayetzei, have a special lesson teaching every one of us. Especially, of course, this week, with the Shlukim, as we said before, are all, we're all here. And of course, as it was this past Shabbos, Shabbos Mevarachim, Chedish Kislev, which also has to do with a special connection. Kislev has a special connection with this concept of Shtichas, of Afotzis Mayonis Chutzah, spreading the word of Teda, which is Tes Kislev, and Yud Kislev, and Yud Tes Kislev, and Chav Kislev, all these Yom Tevim, Chesidish Yom Tevim, and of course by us today, the Shchedish Kislev, Which we will never discuss as the dates come around. And ultimately, the main nest of Kislev, the nest of the oil, Ner Mitzvah, Vitera Er. And Shemin, of course, represents not just Ner, but Pnimius HaTera, this deep secrets of Tera. Let us dissect slightly the involvement of Yaakov's journey. Basik says, Yaakov listened to his mother and his father and he went to Paden Aram. So as we said before, the first question is, why does it repeat later, 
We know he did already. He went. He left. Another question. Why tell us where he left? We know he left from Beersheba. And the Pasuk then says also, doesn't say What is the idea of Chorono? We know many times Rashi tells us a klal, if a word starts with a lamid, it ends up with a hey. So say the choron, we want the chorona, but just chorona doesn't really make sense. A general question. Be'er in Eretz Yisrael was a beautiful place, Be'er Not only physically, not only comfort-wise, spiritually. He was sitting and learning Teda with his father. I guess Yeshiva Shem Ve'eva was not far off. Charon <laughs> was not a good place at all. And here he's being sent from the greatest, the beautiful, most beautiful place to leave the most beautiful place and to go to a place where his, parents, where his forefathers lived. Choron, which Choron, the word stands for Charoin. Af Shalmokim Ba'ilam. One of the lowest of places. To Lovan, who was known as his nickname, his last name was Lovan Ha'arami, the deceit, and all the other not comfortable situations that are involved here. Yaakov should have started screaming, Don't do this to me. What are you sending me? I don't want to go from the, this beautiful comfort to the worst of the worst. But being a tzaddik, Yitzchak being the tzaddik Adair, tzaddik Gezer, Kadosh Baruch Mekayim. You want to keep score at home? Sech the Shabbos Nun Tes on the Beis, fifty-nine side two. You need to do this. But even though, though, that Yitzchak his father was sending him and telling him, "Kach l'chayim Misham, Isha, take a wife from there." And his mother too sent him to run to her brother Lovan. There are many different ways that David conducts the world. Yaakov, though, could have done something not to avoid having to go to this place. If it's just to bring him a wife, do the same thing that Avram did for Yitzchak. Send an Eliezer. Send a Shadchan. Huh. Apparently, already then there was a Shidduch crisis. Shadchanim were not doing their job. So he really didn't want to rely on a Shadchan.
And Yitzchak itself is going to ask also, why send him down and expose him to the worst of places in the world? Why could he not find an Isha from Padan Aram? But the Shlichus of Yaakov, Vayishach Yaakov, Vayishach Yitzchak is Yaakov, to go to Choron is a lesson to the way the person has to work in this world. person does not stay in Eretz Mugriyaviv. person does not stay where he was raised. Even if it's the holiest place, he needs to take upon himself a Shlichus to go from there like the Pasuk says, Yazev ish es aviv es A person leaves his mother and his father. And he has to go out to the world, which is the Kharin Shalamakim. Kharin Av Shalamakim. And he has to take from there Isha. By taking an Isha, taking a wife, a person needs to stand up to establish a Jewish home. Fill the world, as it says, to make a dwelling place for God. He needs to do. What do you do? On a more general basis, the Farshim say, hints and goes on the shlichus, general shlichus of each and every Jew. As a shliach shalakadish baruchu, the shlichus of the neshama coming down into the guf, from igra rama the vira mikta, from the highest of points from be'er shava to the lowest of places charana, elam as a taktin shein taktin lamata in menu, to the world, this physical world, this lower world, which there is no lower than this. For what? To make for HaKadosh Baruch Hu a dwelling place. Now we understand why the Pasuk goes and elaborates that he left from Be'er Shava and he went from there to Charon, to Charona. In Shlichas there's two, fa- two factors. First of all, knowing, recognizing the Shliach is the Shliach of the Mishaleach. And he is totally given over to the Mishaleach when it comes to his Shlichas. And he does the way the Mishaleach, the sender, instills in him. Those keeping square at home is a Mishnah Brachas Lamedalit Amid Beis Kedushin Mem Aleph Amid Beis. Second factor, Shliach has to have his own opinion as well. He needs to be an entity on his own. Even though he's totally nullified 
himself to his Mishaleach, he still needs to have his own, let's call it ego. Now we understand the main shlichas that exists. The neshama coming down into the body. Two extremes. Menakotza lakotza. The neshama comes me'igra rama levira mikto. It goes down from the holy, from part of God Himself to down into a physical body. Not just to a lower place, but to mamish the lowest of low. As the Pasuk says, And we know that when there's the the ditch was empty. There was no water. Why does it say, this is by the story of Yosef Atzadik, why does it say there was no water to teach us that there's no water, there's snakes and scorpions? Firstly, the person knows, needs to know where they're coming from. From the Be'er Shava, from the highest of places, the concept of Bino. Be'er Shava, Sheva is the concept of the nine, seven Branches of the Meneda, which are the seven parts of the Neshama. And higher than this, Be'er goes on the Sheresh Hamidis, the Sheresh of the Neshama, the way they are, higher than Mechim. And what is the Shlichus? The Neshama has to come down onto this world. In a place which is total havoc and needs to make sense of it. Needs to bring into this world which is full of clippers. Needs to bring sanity, harmony, love, tranquility. I want to move the focus a moment away from the shlichas. I want to visit the actual story of the blessings of Yaakov and Esav. Yitzchak calls Esav his older son because we all know that Esav held on to Yaakov and didn't let him out and he snuck out before him being the Becher, making himself a Becher, which ultimately he sold the birthright to, ya- to Yaakov. But still in all, Yaakov recognized Esau as a Becher. And he calls him and says to him, to die, prepare for me a meal, so that I can bless you. So I can grant you my soul's blessing before I die. Yitzchak was blind in his old age. But even being blind, When a person is blind, they lose one sense, the other sense is kicking stronger. 
he was able to hear. Esav was not a refined fellow. And by the way he talked, even if you don't see his face, you don't see the way his hair was all over him, etc. You couldn't be totally fooled and think that Esav was actually a righteous fellow. But yet he deems Esav worthy of receiving (coughs) the holy bracha, the most powerful of blessings. Not only did he base this on what he didn't see or know about him, but something that he did see within this son. There it tells us that Yitzchak devoted a lot of energy in digging up water wells. He restored all the wells that the Plishtim stuffed from his father. Chassidus explains it's an important detail in his life. It's a reflection on his distinctive nature, his unique path of serving God. By digging wells, this is Yitzchak's actual calling in life. Where everybody else looked at it and saw dirt and saw gravel and saw mud, Yitzchak knew if I dig deeply, I'll reveal springs of life-giving water. that lays within this murk. And in spiritual terms, this means Yitzchak devoted himself to refining the unrefined, (coughs) unearthing and cultivating potential within old creations. And this is therefore what he was looking for, to bench Esau, to bring out of him the most inner spirituality that perhaps he could find, although there was on the outside a very coarse life. Yitzchak agrees to become blind at 123 years. He dies at 180. He was blind for 57 years. Obviously, he agreed to all this. He was preparing at 123 years old. This is five years before his mother passed, which is 127, and therefore he was preparing for his death. As it says in many places, that one should prepare themselves five years before their parents' death. But his father lived much longer, at 175, so why would he think at 127 he would pass and not the age of his father? And his mother actually died, not from natural causes. His mother died because she saw the Akedah, as you spoke last week. But this was not out of character for Yitzchak to do. Yitzchak represented Givura, discipline, restraint. And therefore everything was from a very moderate and cautious perspective. And in spite of that, the brachas he gave to Yaakov and Esav 
one of the most extensive and richest blessings in Teda. The dew of the heaven, the fat of the earth. Heavenly spiritual wealth as well. Yitzchak teaches us, therefore, no matter how extremely disciplined and stringent you are in personal behavior, it should not have a bearing on how you relate to give others. The relationship to your fellow Jews must always be one of affection and benevolence, generously sharing with him or her. But also, he accepted upon himself this blindness. Although Hashem could have told him everything that was going on, who Asa was, who Yaakov was, why he should bless this one and not that one, Hashem said, no, I'm going to make him blind. He's going to have to go through all this so I can avoid talking Lashon Hara. Even on an Esav, Hashem said, I don't want to talk Lashon Hara. And this is an extreme lesson for every one of us. There's no one like an Esav, no matter what they've done to anybody, no matter how they did, how they acted or reacted to other people, to fellow Jew. There's always room for forgiveness for this. And we need to seek to forgive, we need to seek to make peace and harmony amongst our fellow peers and more importantly we must be very careful never to talk slander against a fellow Jew, whether it's something that happened yesterday, a year ago 10 or 20 years ago we must be very careful to refrain from ever slandering a fellow Jew may we merit to the ultimate shlichus this Shabbos, and we all join shlichus in Yerushalayim Rakhidesh. See the Reino Bereishenu, Yerushalayim Rakhidesh. Shabbat Shalom to all.